Today's episode is brought to you by Grinding Coffee Co., a black LGBTQ plus owned coffee business that donates a portion of every sale to charity. Coffee is imported from around the world and they pride themselves on great customer service for a small team. Use promo code PLP22 for 10% off your order. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Chokum. Frenchie joins us and joining us as the CEO of Grid Rival, the my favorite fantasy sports app on the market is CEO Ross Fruin. Ross, first off, man, how you doing on a beautiful Tuesday evening or Wednesday evening? Wow, I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's an exciting time. We've got um, a couple of the sports that we host on our platform going live with their first race over the next couple of weeks, uh, MotoGP and Formula One. So uh, plenty, plenty on the plate and uh, exciting time to be in the uh, motorsports slash sports betting kind of crossover. Yeah, so I, I know we, have, we probably have plenty of questions here, but I'll kind of start basic. How did grid rival you know become to be you know wh- where did the idea come from and and what did what did early grid rival look like before well frenchy and i found it uh, last year for a formula one league but you know, what were the early stages like yeah so it looked a lot worse before then <laughs> it um it, we have we have a kind of interesting um, founding story that's kind of similar to a lot of like you know, B2C app products. It started as a side project. Um, And the way it came about was, um, and I don't know if you guys relate to this at all, but kind of what what I've seen over time and what is actually very true of our audience is that I would guess between somewhere between 50 and 70% of all the diehard motorsports fans I speak with are usually not traditional sports fans. A lot of them like really gravitate either motorsports specific or more kind of individual sports like motorsports and golf. And so um, that was very true of me growing up. I like traditional sports in the sense that like, you know, I'll follow them. I'll go to games, but I'm just, I've never, never done a fantasy league or anything like that. And for years, I kind of always saw the engagement that they created for the friends that were engaged in, you know, season long fantasy football or March madness and kind of watched from the sidelines a little bit jealous and uh, the tipping point is a little bit of a funny story actually happened in 2016. Um, I go to the, the F1 race every year in Austin and we, uh, we park a big RV there next to the track. And on the Thursday night before the race, I was inside our RV and I could hear one of my friends outside screaming. And um, so naturally I, I went out and I said, Hey, what's going on? And it turns out he, he had a football game on and he was yelling at his phone because his fantasy lineup was losing and um, I just kind of remember that being this moment where I said, you know, why, why does this not exist? Because for years in the sports that I love, that is, um, because for the years leading up to that, you know, every year I'd kind of look for something that was nuanced and had a lot of depth to it um, on the fantasy side for, you know, different motorsports series I followed in. And there was some stuff out there, but it was always like really shallow. It just, and and I mean, you guys know as motorsports fans, there's so much depth that motorsports has in in the data and all the different things that you can do to make it interesting. And so 
that kind of spurred us to build the first version of Grid Bible, which was a desktop website only kind of product. Didn't really work on a mobile phone that well. And, and it was really, truly to just scratch an itch. Um, we didn't have, a, we, we definitely didn't have goals to turn it into, you know, more of like a real money gaming product. Um, and it really was just for fun in the beginning. And we launched that in 2017. We signed up about 22,000 people the first five days it was online. And um, that's kind of when I really started to take a lot more seriously. And uh, at the time I was running another business and was not in a position to kind of go leave and pursue it. But that opportunity came <clears throat> about 18 months later. And then um, right around that time, um, PASPA, the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, um, which was a piece of, um, I think, legislation that ultimately restricted um, states from creating laws around sports betting was what came up for appeal and was determined to be unconstitutional. And that's what really allowed this whole sports betting craze to start. Um, and that kind of so happened to be the timing that I really was able to go pursue this full time. So we did a lot of market research on, you know, the motorsports fan base, both inside and outside the U.S., um, what was happening in sports betting. And there just seemed to be this like really obvious overlay with this really massive audience. I mean, you guys know motorsports fans, yeah. I think, I think inside of the United States, um, like when we've talked to investors, a lot of my presentation starts with explaining that, you know, we don't necessarily have a taste for this, like the rest of the world does. And that's changing at a quicker pace than I've ever seen in the 30 years that I've been a race fan. I think thanks in part to the Liberty Media takeover of F1, all the money they've invested in content and really making it popular in the US. Um, but anyways, a lot, of, a lot of those things happened all at once and it just it added up to a pretty significant untapped opportunity. And so went full-time in early 2019 and kind of did the whole ordeal, raised some friends and family money, built our first platform um, and really fully launched it last year. And uh, last summer, we passed, I think, 120,000 registered users and then used that traction to go raise our first um, venture-backed financing round. And kind of the whole goal from there is to, to get our first real money games live um, in a number of U.S. states, most of Canada, and hopefully the U.K. Uh, in 2022. Awesome. I, I, I'm really happy that you made this app because, I mean, as motorsports fans, you really nailed the description there of being kind of isolated, at least here within the United States and not really in the mainstream. Um, so I, I wanted to get a little bit of your story of how you originated as a, a racing fan and what made you want to put MotoGP and particularly F1, our interest here um, on Grid Rival. Why were those the two categories you chose? Yeah, so I think those, those answers, those two questions are kind of a, a similar answer. So I, I got into racing. I mean, I think like as a little boy, I was just always into cars, right? I had like the the like stereotypical Lamborghini Testarossa poster that we all had on our, on my wall um, growing up. Yeah. And, um, but the, the racing piece started, I actually vividly remember the moment. So I had a friend growing up and his father was South African and um, was a diehard F1 fan. And I remember this was like, I think my like sophomore or junior year of high school, I'd spent the night and um, at his, his house, just did a little sleepover. And when I woke up, he had a formula one race on, I think it was like the grand prix of it was the Australian grand prix. 
And I was just listening to his dad with his South African accent comment on this, you know, print, like real time commentary on this race and explaining just all the nuances between the teams and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's kind of the moment where I fell in love with it. I um, became a huge Michael Schumacher fan, I think, like most people back then. And um, that was what really kind of got me into it. I raced carts a little bit um, around that age, not super successfully. Um, but you know, it was it was more fun than anything else. And then, and then from there, I think to answer your second question, why F1 and MotoGP to start with, um, I, I would I would say it's, it's the overlap between uh, the sport I knew the most and that coincidentally had the largest motorsports audience globally. And so, my thought was, well, if we're going to test something, you know, we might as well test with something that has a huge reach versus something like. You know, I think if we tested the product with NHR drag racing, we may not have had as much growth initially as quick as we've had. Yeah, definitely fair. Um, but ultimately, I think that, you know, grid rival I see as a sport, motorsport agnostic platform. And I think that there's, you know, there's so much opportunity to spread beyond just the two sports we have. And that's, of course, part of our, our long term goal. Um, because because the motorsports audience, there is um, kind of like traditional sports, actually. I mean, there's. A lot of a lot of NFL fans are NBA fans, and I think you see the same thing um, in certain in certain areas. I think there's probably a lot of crossover between IndyCar fans and Formula One fans. Maybe less crossover between you know NASCAR and F1, but I think at the end of the day, they all kind of share a similar customer. Um, like we had talked about earlier, that really resonates with with motorsports versus kind of other other sports. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, I know you kind of mentioned the sports betting side of things, and that's something as a, as a show, our other co-host Matt and David kind of just started diving into a little bit in terms of like some YouTube content and whatnot, but where do you see sports betting and, and motorsports kind of helping grid rival growth right now, especially for IndyCar and F1, because that's what we follow the most. If you go to like DraftKings, it's pretty basic in terms of what you can bet on you can bet on the winner and the, the the podium or you know will max verstappen finish ahead of lewis hamilton other than that it's it's kind of basic where do you see the the future of it and, and the future of it on grid rival yeah so i think without giving too much secret sauce away sure. um sure. i i think i think you, you you kind of nailed the biggest problem with um sports betting amongst the motorsports fans in this industry which is a lot of the huge players in the space, they decide on how they approach a new market by looking at how much money is already by looking at how much money is already being spent in that market for a specific sport. And then they, they naturally they come across motorsports and they'll say, well, you know, people are spending way more money betting on football or basketball. So like we're going to go there next. Um, and the, our our thesis fundamentally, and the reason why I think that's happening is because the motorsports audience hasn't had a compelling enough product to make them excited about it. I think that there's very few people in the world that would look at the motorsports audience and just be like, well, they're just not interested in it. They're never gonna do it. I think we all know that's probably not the case. It's just what, what's the product that's gonna make the entertainment value equal to the excitement that you can get from winning money. And that sounds like an easy thing to solve, but it's actually, I think, the, the most difficult piece and the biggest opportunity, the biggest challenge that we have in front of us. Because if we were to go build a fantasy football startup or 
you know, a, a fantasy basketball or betting something or other. There's innumerable amount of data providers, traders, odds providers that can fuel the back end of whatever that product is and does. That piece doesn't exist yet to the same depth that it does with football. Um, and so I think that's what, you, that's what you're going to see be the big driver of betting growth amongst motorsports is when, um, you know, bet makers and odds makers and, and um, operators like GridRival start to do interesting things, uh, interesting enough things with the data to create a fun product, if that makes sense. <clears throat> and with it motorsports, what's, in, what, what's interesting is the data is incredibly accessible. It's just there's very little being done with it. And so if you think about how this is done with, you know, if you, if you play season-long fantasy football or you play, you know, daily fantasy and you're watching those things update in real time, that is ultimately coming from a team of three or four people that are sitting in front of 12 screens, maybe a couple guys live at the event that are keying things in as it's happening. That's how the data comes through. Um, as, as we know with motorsports, most of the data is being streamed real time telemetrically on a vehicle by vehicle basis. And so I think the amount of like betting markets and things that can be created off that is substantial. It's just going to take some more innovation um, to kind of bring those things to the forefront and, and being able to plug them into to a platform and a product that's interesting enough for the race fan. Awesome. I'll turn it back over to Frenchy. So Ross, I, as Mike mentioned earlier, we were part of a, a grid rival um, league last year, but I've also seen grid rival on an IMSA sports car uh, as oh, a yeah. sponsor. How did you yeah. guys get involved in that? And do you kind of have other plans with engaging with motorsport sponsorship going forward? I know you probably can't uh, divulge details there, but. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I can tell you long-term, it's a pretty obvious, um, you know, I mean, if, if we were going to invest in sponsorship, it's a pretty obvious place to do it. Um, the, the partnership with Hardpoint, um, how did that come about? I'd say that's luck. Um, so when we raised our first uh, fundraising kind of friends and family round, I did a lot of cold emailing and cold outreach, which um, if you ask around is usually a pretty ineffective way to raise money, but it worked for us. And um, I was very, very fortunate early on to um, capture the attention of a now IMSA team owner um, of Team Hardpoint who really understood the vision from the get-go and um, he was our first major investor and has been kind of more than more than just a cash investor like a huge supporter of what we're doing and um, so we actually have our name in some of those spots um, kind of as as a as a partnership with um, their team owner Rob um, being kind of part of the team I love it I love your guys livery too that's kind of why I, I mean it stood out to me at the Rolex 24 this year yeah no, I, I agree. And we've been very fortunate um, to uh, to have Rob as engaged as he's been. It's been a huge, huge help to us for sure. So we'll jump back in here and, and go through, I guess, probably one more each. I just realized what time it is already. But and and I know this I'm, I'm asking you all the questions that like you probably can't say as much as you really want to. But we <laughs> talked about the future on the sports betting side of Grid Rival. But what is the. You know, reg, I don't want to say regular fantasy sports. What does the non-sports betting side of Grid Rival look like in 2022? What are your your grand plans and ambitions with the with the company? Yeah, so you'll see kind of a whole new application come out um, 
June, July, August, sometime this summer. And, um, you know, we, we really believe and have believed from the beginning that season long fantasy is a really important tool for us. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to monetize and we don't know that we ever will. Um, but I think why it's important is because number one, it's fun. It's engaging. Um, it creates a lot of, you know, viral growth mechanics because by nature it's a camaraderie community driven game. And so, I think you're going to see us continuing to invest in that product and innovate there and create you know, new types of games, um, new ways for the customers to like customize their leagues and make them more exciting to their individual desires. Kind of like you see more on the traditional fantasy football side where you can, you know, decide how many points each thing's worth. Um, and then, um, so, so you're going to continue to see that evolve. And then uh, from the, um, on the betting side, really our focus initially is on kind of more, you could call it like traditionally daily fantasy sports games. So pool betting where you're engaging in groups of, you know, three, four, 10, maybe 50 at the most people. Sure. Um, and, and you're going to see the first version of that be very similar to what you're playing today as a league, you know, where you kind of pick a, pick a roster of drivers based off of your knowledge. And, um, but difference being they're, they're going to be based off of a single event and, and you'll be able to put some, some cash on them. Awesome. Wrap it up with one more from Frenchie. I'll ask a little bit more of a, a personal question and, and see what you're kind of excited about going into the 2022 season for F1. Obviously we're in race month and um, I mean, we're coming up on stuff. There's been a lot in the news and I think you guys are really poised at a perfect time in the United States with the Miami Grand Prix coming up and just the growth of F1 with drive to survive. And yeah, I think this is the perfect storm for grid rival, but what do you think about the season coming up? Any uh, predictions or takes that you might have uh, my only prediction is actually i'm not going to predict it i will say that it is a is a large hope and desire is that um this new chassis results in uh closer racing um in a a team other than mercedes being dominant not that yeah. i don't like them i just like you know as much as i loved michael schumacher at the end of seven years i was like all right guys like let's you know let's get someone else in here it kind of became repetitive um, so yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I love anytime there's change and, and a new format. So I'm really excited to, to see how, um, you know, the results of the, the, the new design and the supposed um, reduction in dirty air that it's going to provide for closer racing. Um, I've, I've been running this too long to try and make a prediction this early on. <laughs> so I'm not going to yeah. put anything in words. Um, other than that, we're probably going to hear continued drama about how last season ended for sure. Um, but yeah, no. I think that's, <laughs> and I think we're going to see, you know, I think the audience in the United States is going to continue to grow. It's been really incredible to watch as somebody who has been a fan of the sport for 30 years. And even as recent as, you know, three years ago had trouble articulating to people why this was such a big thing. Um, seeing, seeing it continue to grow is, is really exciting. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every 
Strawberry Race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide. And we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the year, and I'm, I'm sure we'll hear plenty about last year still, no matter how much fans want to escape it. But Ross, man, I appreciate the time. Guys, look out for the Pit Lane Parlay Grid Rival Fantasy F1 League. I'll post that link soon-ish. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but in the next week or so. And uh, we appreciate your time today, man, and, and look forward to seeing Grid Rival grow. And uh, hopefully I can capture my second straight F1 Fantasy Championship. I hope so, too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no problem, man. Hey, Have a good Thanks one. Thanks for your time. Yeah, so we are back for part two of this episode. We'll go through some news and again, go to gridrival.com to check out the site. There's also an app on iPhone and Android. We will have our own league there this year and be doing some other work with those guys, but I'll turn it over to Frenchie for this part. We'll just go just through just a few news items this week. I think there's just a few things to get into that we missed because we didn't cover the news last week. And the first of those big items is just that we learned a little bit more about Andretti to F1 and that Alpine would probably be the team that would support them technically if they came over. And it really looks like they're still pushing, even though they weren't able to buy Sauber, they're intent on coming. Um, and I think that's great for the sport. I mean, we heard from Mario Andretti, I think it was today actually that the deal really fizzled out at the last minute and Colton Herta had already been in the simulator at Sauber and was actually faster than both of their drivers. So we'll, we'll see about this happening, but it's odd to me that some of the teams are pushing back against Andretti coming into the sport. Do you think that that's because they may be threatened? by the Andretti name or what is it? Is it just snobbery? I mean, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. A little bit of that elitist F1 attitude kind of sneaks out there. Like, what do you guys know about being an F1 and running an F1 team? And I don't know. 
I just think it's very silly. You, you add another team, which means you add more money, which means you add more revenue and you add more eyeballs. So I don't get the issue here. Yeah. Plus, how do you say no to the Andretti name? I mean, Mario is an F1 champion, right? And he's been in the sport. He drove for Ferrari. He's got fans. I don't really know anyone who roots against Mario Andretti. And Michael didn't really get the chance to prove himself in F1 when he went to McLaren in 93. So the redemption story that's available for him to go over with a team and have success, I think, is box office gold, shall we say. Yeah, I agree. I just I don't get the if the drawback was I don't know if they can bring the money, et cetera, et cetera. I go, okay, that's that's a fair concern. But I mean, Michael Andretti said, listen, we have the money. We, we can do this. So I don't I don't get the hold up other than greed and selfishness and wanting to keep this elitist group as tiny as possible. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's very frustrating. Do you think if they come, uh, we will see just another team added to the grid, basically, and have 22 cars? Yeah, I think so. Unless Haas kind of drops off the map, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. And Gene Haas is clearly not selling the team. He's made that very clear. And Michael Andretti said this weekend that he's approached Gene Haas four or five or six times or something like that. And he's been rejected every time. So if Andretti joins the grid, I think we're going to go to 22 cars. And I think that'd be great to see. So I'm, I'm going to say that I am a proponent of that, not only because I'm also an IndyCar fan, but just because for motorsports in general, I think Andretti to F1 is a global news story that could only be good for the sport. Exactly. All right. So with that one covered, the next thing that we heard, I believe actually today, is that Max Verstappen just agreed or is about to agree to, and it'll be released soon enough, the full details, to a new contract with Red Bull that's worth about 40 million pounds a year, which is equal to about 53 million US dollars. And it should take him to, I guess, his 30s. So it's a pretty long contract. But this puts him on the same pay scale as Lewis Hamilton. So for a one-time champion to be paid that much by Red Bull, what do you think this says about what they see in him and the future of the team? What's your opinion of the deal? I mean, it's market value. You know, when Lewis got his deal a couple of years ago, I'd imagine now it's worth, you know, a little bit more than it is. But I mean, that's the same thing in any sport. One major guy signs for X number of millions of dollars. The next star who comes up for contract gets a little bit more than that or equal to that just because that's how the market always kind of plays itself out. But it's fine. I mean, listen, Red Bull has eight gazillion dollars coming in and sponsorship money this year between Oracle and Bitcoin and whatever else is coming in. So they can they can certainly afford it. There's there's no shortage of of money there. And I think it means that Max is there for I mean you can never say for the full length of his career. I don't know too many drivers in F1 that in recent times have stayed their entire career. I mean, even Lewis and Michael Schumacher, for example, have and Vettel have never have not stayed at one team. But I mean, this will take Verstappen at least through maybe the prime of his career. It's, it's definitely going to be a long term deal. So good for him. I don't have any issue with it. I see some people going, oh, well, he's getting paid as much as Lewis now and he's got six less championships. That's how contracts work. It's just, it is what it is. 
Yeah, it's about betting on the future, right? So sure. I, I exactly. think, yeah, I think it's a smart move by Red Bull. I mean, you got to lock this guy down because if you don't, he's going somewhere else and he's going to beat you, right? If Lewis retires, he's the next guy that's going to have a dynasty in F1, I think. I mean, maybe one of the other guys will come up and, and do that, like a Leclerc or maybe Sainz, even Russell Norris, right? But Max is the one who's proven to us that he can already do it. So I think being able to lock him down for the foreseeable future, he's going to have a run of championships like Lewis probably did with, or like Lewis did with Mercedes or Schumacher did with Ferrari. I, I think we could see that happening. So signing this contract, I, I believe that's what Red Bull is envisioning is going to happen. Yeah. Well said. Good for Max. Even if I'm not a huge Max fan, but you know, good for him and, and good for you know, future job security. The last thing we will get into uh, for today, and we won't go over testing too much because I'm sure everyone's been seeing the updates and a lot of other news outlets have covered the testing. And plus, we can't read that much into testing. We don't know what teams were doing. So we're going to kind of skirt that topic and just say that it, it looks a little bit more competitive so far, right? We see that Ferrari and McLaren look a little bit faster and closer to the Red Bull and the Mercedes, but we'll have to see. Um, what's going to happen. The big topic, however, though, is what's been going on in Ukraine and how that specifically has affected the Haas F1 team with their sponsor. And then also how that's affecting Russian drivers in F1, but then also other categories, right? Robert Schwartzman is also a Russian driver. Um, and I think he's actually one of Ferrari's test drivers. I think so. So <laughs> what's happened so far that we've seen is that Obviously, Russia and Putin invaded Ukraine. And if you don't know about that, I don't know where you've been, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, become a global issue, right? That's very shocking and terrifying to all of us. And sports have been reacting to this as well. We've seen um, the UAEFA and uh, FIFA react to it. And at the FIA did the same. Um, they came out and made kind of what I see as a questionable decision, right? They said that Russian drivers could race, uh, but under the FIA flag, not the Russian flag. So they basically said, we're going to kick the can down the road as they always do and not take a stand on this one. But they also canceled the Russian Grand Prix um, and they canceled it again using pretty weak language that said something about we can't race there under the current conditions, which leaves it open for them to go back if something changes. And lastly, you know, we, we've now seen that you, the UK motorsport, um, I guess that's a commission headed by Dave Richards, I believe, who used to run yeah. the Subaru rally team and BAR Honda. Um, they have come out and said that Russian drivers will not be able to compete in events based in the UK. And then also that, you know, with these sanctions going on, we've seen that the Ural Cali based sponsorship for Haas has to go away, has to come off delivery. And I assume they won't be able to accept the money from Dmitry Mazepin. So what does this mean for Nikita Mazepin? Do you think he stays with Haas? Is, I mean, if he's not able to race in Britain, do they just sub him for that race? Or does he get booted out of the team because his dad's no longer to pay, basically, for him to be there? And therefore, Haas doesn't need someone and they can find someone who's arguably more talented? Yeah, I'd say he's gone. And unfortunately, you know, he's 
he's there because he's bringing money, which you know is okay in in theory. Not necessarily where his money is coming from. That's a whole nother issue. But yeah, it's I I don't see any reason why Haas would want to keep him around. There's just so much drama around the Mazepin name this year. Why are you going to give yourself that headache? Let alone he's not bringing money, and you can get Pietro Fittipaldi in as you know, from a reserve driver to the second driver. I don't know what his funding situation is, but I'm guessing it's more than zero. So that's automatically an improvement there. And Gene Haas said, I don't care about money. I, I can operate at a loss because this is essentially advertising for my you know, Haas machining company. So yeah, if he doesn't care, okay, that's, that's fine. I don't have an issue with that. But yeah, I the F1 stance kind of, was odd because everybody else is saying no. And they're like, well, maybe, but he has to use the FIA flag. And I, I get it because they're trying to, they're trying to stay as neutral as possible, which is fine. But yeah, it's, it's not happening. He's not racing. Unfortunately, I'm fortunately for those who don't like him because he's not a good character he is not racing this year because now he has no money yeah i think i'm with you i mean i saw in some news outlets i believe that the haas f1 team actually operates at a loss of about 40 million dollars a year anyway so i mean if he's willing to accept basically that kind of loss then i'm sure the nascar team that Haas owns with Tony Stewart is so profitable that he can kind of take some of that money and shove it over to F1. But I'm going to go on a little bit of a short rant because I know we don't have that much time left, but just say that I've seen some people come out and say that this is unfair to Russian drivers, um, to Mazepin, that he doesn't deserve this. He's not causing the war. This is taking something out on him that he has no control over. Um, and Daniel Kvyat came out and said something about the same, that sports shouldn't be involved in politics, all that. And I have to say that I disagree with them because when you look at what's happening, these sanctions and banning Russian athletes from competing are meant to put pressure on Putin. They're not meant to alienate these, these drivers, right? Or these athletes, they're not meant to take it out on them. You know, I'm sorry that their careers are being affected by this. But this is the world basically trying to avoid World War III by putting pressure on Putin and making his people lose support for him and his decision to invade Ukraine. Because the less popular it is among people who are being affected by it, by economic sanctions, by being able to you know, not compete or not watch their athletes compete on a global stage, it just becomes less popular. Who wants to see a war if you lose sort of all these positive things you know, because the rest of the world disapproves of it? And so you know, we've seen how war and conflict, I think a friend of the show, Cassie Johnson actually sent a picture of what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway looked like during World War II, right? We don't want to see a a world war occur here. And so the reason we're banning these athletes from competing is not because of them. It's because of, it's the reaction to this situation. It's an approach, you know, of not trying to escalate, but trying to, you know, deescalate and stop this before it really gets worse. And so, in the face of kind of conflict, I'm sorry to say, but I don't really feel bad for the Russian athletes or drivers, um, you know, based on what's happening to Ukrainian people. And, you know, yep, it's something that I, I think is 
I, I hope it stops quickly. And I hope that, you know, the Russian athletes and people who don't support this, um, you know, can get back to doing what they want to do. But until that, until Putin basically, yeah. you know, creates a peaceful environment, that's, this is the way it is. Yep. I agree there. And before Zoom cuts us off in 10 seconds, because we had to switch recordings tonight, I agree with everything Frenchie says 100%. And everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, they've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.